0: We welcome you, if you're those of you over in the venue, we welcome you as well this morning. And uh, we're gonna be looking at on this last weekend of, of, of 2014, some last words of Jesus and some last instructions of, of Paul that I believe would be uh, important for us as we look at the new year ahead. In fact, I'm convinced that they are. So let's bow our heads and pray with me if you would please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, and thank you that you're with us always. That your promise is you'll never leave us, you never forsake us, and that you have a plan for our lives, Lord. You long to use us for your honor and glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen as I read these words from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus speaks, "For the Son of Man, referring to himself, came." To seek and to save the lost. And aren't you glad for that this morning? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that is really what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. That is the reason he was born. Jesus was born for a mission. And that mission was to seek you and to seek me who were lost. That we might be found. Jesus spoke these words to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, he was a tax collector, and yet he was lost and desperately in need of a Savior, as is true for all who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And that day, Zacchaeus found the Savior, and his life was was radically changed. I was 19 years old when I found myself lost on a cold, rainy, dark night in the mountains of British Columbia. I was there on a motorcycle trip with my friend Dean Bernacki, and that summer we rode our bikes to Canada. And on that particular day we picked up two girls who were hitchhiking along the road, and we ended up in a hippie commune hidden back off the roads, in the mountains where they lived. And I know, looking at me today, you probably (laughs) can't believe that, but it's true. What you also need to know is true, however, is that I wasn't driving a Harley. I was driving a Honda 350, so. (laughs) Well, that night, we we left that commune in the middle of the night, cold, wet, and uh, lost. We had no idea where we were, nor where we were going. And that night characterized what was true in my life at that time. I was lost. I was, I was totally lost. I felt aimless. I felt empty. I felt all alone. During my high school years, my dad was seldom home because of work, and, and then one day, he told us that he was leaving, and he did. And it sent my life into a downward spiral that was, was headed for a crash landing, and for years I internalized those feelings. But on that night, lost in the mountains, those feelings poured out. <laughs> they poured out from deep within me, and I simply cried out, God, God, I am lost. I am so lost lost, and I, I need your help. The day after I arrived home from Canada was a Sunday, and I felt an overwhelming compulsion to visit First Baptist Church here in Modesto. I'd been invited there before, but had never gone. However, on that day, I was all too aware that God had literally spared my life on that trip, and so I felt this overwhelming again, compulsion to go. And there on that day, July 16th, 1972, I heard something I'd never heard before. I heard that God loved me. I heard that God had a wonderful plan for my life. I heard that I could have a personal relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard that if I would invite Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior, that he would forgive me. I heard that if he came into my life, he would change me. And I heard that he would give me eternal life. And I knew that I needed that. And I also knew that I wanted that. And I wanted that because I had witnessed that in the lives of others who had previously talked to me about about Jesus. And what I saw in their lives, I wanted. What I saw in their lives was drastically different than what I knew was true in my life. Their lives were different, and I didn't understand what that difference was. All I knew was I wanted it. When I turned 16, I started working at a grocery store here in town Albertsons, which used to be on McHenry Avenue. I started uh, actually on my 16th birthday as a bag boy, and there was a checker there by the name of Sandy. And Sandy was a Pentecostal preacher. And she made me her project. <laughs> so, and I needed to be her project. And she talked to me about Jesus. I didn't have ears at that time to hear, hear about it, really but she was one of the friendliest people I knew. And she had a glow and a joy in her life that I didn't have in mind. There was another Christian working there whose name was Marie McClellan. And Mar- Marie had a pretty daughter uh, by the name of Kathy and she would often come into the store to see her mom and I always looked forward to the time that she would come into the store to see her mom because I was attracted to her, as every other boy was who laid eyes on her. I was shy, we never dated, but I did work up enough courage to go to her house a couple of times, and each time she always somehow found a way to bring Jesus into the conversation. Kathy passed away from cancer many years ago. And I was surprised last week, after one of our Christmas programs, when a, a pretty young woman came up to me and introduced herself to me with these words, you knew my mother, and it was Kathy's daughter. And we talked, and, and I told her that I had just been thinking about her mom just a few days before as I was thinking about this message and, and preparing for it. And as we ended our our conversation, I said, I want you to know something. I want you to know that your mom was very instrumental in me coming to know Jesus. The year before my trip to Canada, I sat in an English class at Modesto Junior College between two people who both asked me, in essence, the same question. It was a question no one had ever asked me before. And I I was surprised. But the question they asked me was in essence this, do you know Jesus? And I told both of them, Jalynne Gaskell and Barth Campbell, Barth by the way who is uh, also passed away and is in heaven. But Jalynne and Barth asked me that question and I told them both yes. Because I thought who doesn't know Jesus? Everybody knows about Jesus. You can read about him in any encyclopedia, but I wrestled with that question, and I began to wrestle with it because I realized there was something different in the way they knew Jesus and in the way I knew about Jesus. You know, now over 42 years have passed, and I'm still thankful and grateful to God for Sandy, for Kathy, for Jalen and for Barth, who all shared Jesus with me and in whose lives I saw something different. I saw something that I wanted. And they were four people that God used in my life to help draw me to himself on that day there at First Baptist Church on July 16th, 1972. When I heard the gospel message that God loved me, when I heard the message that God had a wonderful plan for my life, when I heard that he would forgive me of my sins, when I heard that he would come into my life and that he would give me eternal life, and I wanted it, and I knew I needed it, and I gave my life to Jesus on that day, and my life has never been the same since. And that is why Jesus came. That's the message of Christmas. He came to seek and to save the lost. He did that in Zacchaeus' life. He did that in my life. And I would imagine for the majority of us in here, He's done that in your lives as well. That was His mission. That's why He was sent, because people are lost and they're in desperate need of a Savior. Listen to these words that Jesus prayed to his his Father, his Heavenly Father, on the, the, the night before he went to the cross. Praying to his Father, Jesus prayed, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus was sent by the Father, into the world on a mission to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save you and me. And Jesus prayed commissioning and sending his disciples into the world with that same mission. And that mission that Jesus sent his disciples into the world, the mission that was his mission became their mission. And that mission is the mission that we've been commissioned with that is to be our mission as well. The Gospel of Matthew concludes with these words of Jesus. Therefore, go, (laughs) go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always. to The very end of the age. And that very end of the age is coming soon. This is what we call the Great Commission, and it was Jesus' mission, and it's Jesus' purpose for his church. And every follower of Christ, it's Jesus' mission and purpose for their lives, for our lives as well. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for for missionaries. It's his mission for every believer, every follower of Christ, And God made himself known to me and God made himself known to you that we might make him known to others. Acts 1.8 records for us the very, very last words of Jesus given to his disciples prior to his ascension, after his resurrection, and just prior to his return to heaven. And he speaks these words again to them and to us. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it's the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to accomplish the mission that Jesus has called us to. And what is that mission? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And these last words of Jesus are words that are reminders to us. They're to remind us why we're here. And you and I are here for a reason. And we're here because God has placed us here and he's come into our lives so that we might carry out the mission for which he came. And he's called us now as his followers, to carry out as well. These last words remind us that we are here to be Jesus' witnesses and to tell everyone everywhere about Jesus. This is a mission that Jesus has given to us. And this was a mission that dominated the life of the Apostle Paul. And listen to his final instructions. And these are the words I really want to focus on this morning. But his final instructions that he wrote in his letter to the Colossians that are intended to remind us again of God's mission for our lives. He writes these words. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and and thankful. And pray for us too that that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of, of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how to answer everyone. And the key thought that, that I want to leave you with this morning, it's, it's in your, your programs, is simply this. <laughs> that we are called to be Christ's witnesses. And I don't believe in your program there is an exclamation mark. But you see three of them there? I want you to write in three exclamation marks. We are called by God the Father. We are called by God the Son. We are called by God the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in the world and that's why we're here. It's easy to forget that. And so Jesus' last words to his disciples were simply, this is why you're here. And Paul's last words to the Colossians were, this is why you're here. And God's word to us on this last weekend of 2014 is simply a reminder, this is why we're here. We're here because Jesus was sent by the Father to seek and to save the lost. And just as Jesus was sent, so he sends us. And so we are called to be Christ's witnesses Paul writes, in how we pray. And notice in verse one, he says, devote yourselves to pray, to prayer. And so in how we pray, we're, to, we're as Christ's witnesses, we're to pray devotedly. Everything begins with prayer. And being Christ's witnesses means that we are to be devoted in prayer. Pastor John Byron dev- uh, defined prayer in this way. Prayer is not something you do. It's not something you do out of duty. Prayer is someone that you're with. Prayer is all about a relationship. A relationship with the one who loves you, who died on the cross for you, who's coming again for you, who loves you and I more than we could ever begin to imagine and who has called us with great purpose so that our lives might have great meaning and that meaning might bring eternal blessings, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And so prayer is not something we do, it's someone that we're with. And the more that we are with Jesus, the more we will become like him. My wife and I have been married over 38 years, and it's amazing how we think alike. <laughs> it's amazing. She'll say something that I'm thinking, and how she does that, I don't know. But I manage to do it for her at times too. When you're together for a long time, Faithfully together, your hearts kind of are melded together. And that's the way it is with us, with Christ. When we are faithfully and consistently with Jesus in, in prayer, it changes us. And it changes us so that we become more like him. And prayer is not simply about changing our circumstances. It's really about changing us. Because change people are the ones that God uses to help bring change in the lives of other people. And when we're in prayer, when we're faithful and consistent, when we're devoted, we've devoted ourselves to prayer, it changes us. And through prayer, God's presence, his power is manifest in us and through us so that others might somehow see Jesus in us. And Paul in in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, therefore says, never stop praying. Don't stop praying because it's all about relationship. It's all about intimacy with Jesus whose who's in, in in who's, uh, life changes our life when we're with him and we're devoted to him in prayer. Paul goes on to say, don't, devote yourselves to prayer, but he also says being watchful. So we're to pray watchfully. And to be watchful means to stay alert. It means to be observant. It means to be attentive. It means to be vigilant. It means to see with God's eyes. It means to see with more than just what we can see physically, but it means to see with the heart of of Jesus. And we do that as we listen to his word and and he reveals himself to us. We do that as we're on our knees and we're there until we strike fire, until we, we, you know, God lights something within our heart. But we're to be watchful. And God wants to use us to be his witnesses. And we've got to be watchful in that way. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. So don't be sleepy. But let us be alert and let us be sober, because God is at work in our lives, and God is at work in the lives of those within your family, and God is at work in the lives of others all around you. Though you and I may not be able to see it at times, God is at work, and he wants to use us in his work. After praying this on Tuesday morning this week, I I drove uh, here to work. And I live out by Johansson High School, and so I was driving down Claus Road, and as I was driving, I saw a guy kind of limping along the road on the sidewalk, and he had his thumb up. And so I drove by him, and I said, Lord, should I or should I not? And it was kind of like instant. What were we just praying about? (laughs) What were we praying about? I went down to the nearest intersection. I turned around, went by him. I turned around, I came up, and I opened up my door and said, do you need a ride? And he came in. I said, my name's Rick. And he said his name was Miles. I said, Miles, how far do you, where are you going? And he said, I'm just going down to Brigsmore, which is like a mile away. That was it. And uh, so I drove him to his house. And we parked out there in front. And as he started to get out, and by the way, on the way there, I listened to him. And he just talked and told me about his, his foot and how he thought he had broken it. But as he opened up the door, I said, Miles, can I, can I tell you something? And he said, yeah, what is it? said, Miles, I just want to tell you one thing. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And almost instantly he said, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) And I guess the Lord knew it too. And my short drive turned into a longer conversation as I listened to him tell me how he had known known the Lord he'd asked Jesus into his heart and he'd gotten sideways he'd been in and out of rehab rehabs his habits had lost had, had uh, caused him to, to lose his wife and his family and with tears in his eyes he, he shared with me his story and I prayed with, with Miles and I let him know that Jesus loved him That Jesus had a plan for his life, that Jesus wasn't through. In fact, my stopping was an indication of that. And as he he left, he thanked me. I gave him my card and I invited him here. And I drove away, thinking, uh, well, first of all, I called my wife, and because she had called me during that time and told her I'll get back to you, and I told her I'd picked up a hitchhiker, and she said, "You, you what?" I said, do you you realize they can have guns and knives and take your wallet and your phone and other things? I said, yeah. (laughs) As I drove away, I kind of chuckled and just said, Lord, that's funny. just kind of funny. And once again, instantly, I, I sensed this word from him. No. It's what I call you to every day. It's what I've called you to be about. And so we're to pray watchfully because God is at work. And then we're to pray thankfully. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says to us, give thanks in all circumstances. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, the Bible says give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks and give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, gives us some amazing insight into why we should give thanks. Paul says, yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And do you realize that you can know Jesus and not worship him? You can know Jesus and not give him thanks. And that's not a good thing. Because it causes our minds and our our, our thinking of God to to become skewed. To become off-kiltered. And the result is our minds can become darkened and and confused. And I'm confident that all of you understand what what Jesus is talking about there through the Apostle Paul. I know it from my life. And I know it's true in all of our lives. Giving thanks. We're to give thanks. Praying thankfully changes your heart. Praying thankfully changes the way you think. Praying thankfully changes your, your, your attitudes. Praying thankfully changes the focus, the focus of your life. Praying thankfully elevates God to that highest place in your life, to that rightful place as your sovereign Lord, as your sovereign God, who is in control and in charge of everything in your life. Praying thankfully is what God calls us to do. And then he also, Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4, and Tells us where to pray, purposefully, purposely, and pray for us. Paul writes, and isn't it is interesting. He's talking about how we're to pray, and then he says, "Pray for us." This is the great apostle Paul, and we all need to be praying for one another. And, and we who are maybe doing what I do and what Pastor Rick does every week, we need your prayers. We need your prayers to do what Paul is asking them to pray for, he says pray for us too. Why, here's why, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And what is the mystery of Christ? Back in Colossians one, the mystery of Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the mystery, the mystery of Christ, that's the mystery of the gospel. It's the mystery that Christ lives within us, the hope of glory. For which Paul goes on to say, I am in chains. And pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And that's true for each and every one of us. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 asked the Ephesians to pray a very similar way. Pray for me, also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, and that was Paul's prayer. That was Paul's request for prayer, and it was focused on God's purpose. It was focused on God's message. He knew that God had called him to be Christ's witness, and so it didn't matter if he was in prison. By the way, both those letters, Colossians and Ephesians as well as Philippians were all written from prison, but it didn't matter that he was in prison or in a palace. God had called him to be his witness. And he never wavered from that. And Paul was in prison, but he wasn't asking prayer to be released. He was asking prayer that the power of the gospel would be released from him so that others might hear the message of Christ. He prayed that it would be released powerfully from his life. And that was the focus of his prayers and his requests. And that should be the focus of our prayers as well. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter six, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, he taught them to begin by giving praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And whenever we pray, that's that's a great way to begin. It ought to be how we begin, by giving God praise. But don't miss the second priority of how Jesus taught his disciples and taught us to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Literally, come your kingdom. And God wants his kingdom to come in our lives and God wants his kingdom to come in the lives of those we love and God wants his kingdom to come in the lives of really everyone who is lost and desperately in need of the savior. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're all synonymous. And they're all about Jesus reigning within our lives so that we might reign with him in heaven someday. That the one who is Lord of lords and king of kings, that we might surrender to him. And that others who don't yet know him might surrender to them as they see Jesus as king of our lives. And that's how we're to pray. Being Christ's witnesses begins with prayer. Praying devotedly, praying watchfully, praying thankfully, praying purposefully. Praying as God's witnesses is what changes us. And praying as God's witnesses is what leads to living as Christ's witnesses. And that's really the second thing that Paul addresses here. He says, we're called to be Christ's witnesses in how we live and verse five, he begins by saying, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, toward those who don't yet know Jesus. And we're to, we're to live wisely. We're to live wisely. Someone said, your life may be the only Bible some people will ever read. And that's why in verse five here, Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And God has wisdom for us, and that wisdom is found right here. And God wants us to live in that wisdom. God has wisdom for how we are to live in private and how we are to live in public. God has wisdom for how we are to how we treat our spouses and how we we raise our kids. God has wisdom for us in how we work and how we play. God has wisdom for us knowing right and knowing wrong. God has wisdom for us in caring for ourselves and in caring for one another. God has wisdom in how we are to spend our money and in how we are to save it. He has wisdom for us in how we are to put him first and put others before ourselves. Living wisely. Living wisely is to love God first and to love God foremost, and then to love others even as we would love ourselves. Living wisely involves every area of our lives. and it determines determines the impact of our lives and our witness for Christ in the lives of others. And living wisely is, is the result of being filled with the Spirit. Living wisely is the result of being filled with the Spirit through letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And now listen to the results of what being filled with the Spirit looks like, some of what it looks like. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, living wisely as a result of being filled with the Spirit through letting the word of God dwell richly in your lives. Now listen to what he writes in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word richly dwell within you. And now notice the results. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Living wisely is a result of being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through letting the Word of God dwelling in you richly. When you let the Word of God dwell in you richly, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. That's why we need to be in this book. That's why Pastor Joel shared some of the things he did about things coming up that are in your bulletin that you can read. Because we want you to know God Intimately because knowing God intimately is what makes all the difference in our lives, so that somehow our lives might make a difference in the lives of others. We're to live wisely, but we're also to live boldly. He goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity, and praying watchfully and, and living wisely is what keeps us alert to the opportunities that God brings into our lives, that brings, he brings across our paths. And for Paul, those opportunities were everywhere, even behind prison doors. Again, he's writing from, from prison. And they're everywhere in our lives as well. They're, they're in a grocery store. They're in a, a college campus. They're on a, a sidewalk as you're driving down the street. They're in your, in your neighborhood. In fact, those opportunities are in your very home, in your very family. And we're to be bold. We're to live boldly. And they're everywhere. And we must be bold enough to take the step of faith to do our best to make the most of those those opportunities that God will bring into our lives. And He will bring them. Two weeks after I came to know Christ, back in again, 1972, I uh, went with uh, the Living Circle, which was a college choir at First Baptist Church. They are about 80. We went to Yosemite National Park. We were there for a week, five nights actually. And uh, the choir, first time a choir, a Christian choir, had been allowed in a national park. And we went into venues every night. I should say the choir went into venues every night. I stayed behind at the camp. while well, they went to different places in the park, and they sang, and, and they shared their faith. And as I stayed behind, I guarded the camp, and I did the dishes, and that's what I did. But I also, on that very first night, I just prayed, God, I want to do what everyone else is doing. I don't really know how to do it, but that's what I want to do. And after I finished praying, I opened up my eyes, and and down by the river, we were in campground by the river, 80 of us, and various campgrounds around, I saw a guy standing, and I thought, wow. All of a sudden, what I prayed about, maybe, God, that's what you want me to do, and I was just afraid to do it. And when we're afraid to do what God wants us to do, we just need to learn to step out. Step out in faith. And that's when God takes over, when we step out in faith, and it's all about him taking over anyway. (laughs) And so I walked up to this guy, and as the closer I got to him, I could see his jacket, and on the back of his jacket, it looked like, this guy must be a Christian it looks like a cross or something and, I, and so I walked up to him and his name was Danny Thomas and he was an African American and I remember his, his name because he sent me Christmas cards for the next couple of years after that and I said Danny I said wow are you a Christian he said yes I am and I said wow that's really neat I just became a Christian and I'm with this group and we're in here and, and, uh, and I just finished praying and I, I was asking God to maybe lead me to somebody that I could kind of share with And he said to me, I'm glad you came because I need somebody to talk with me. The next night, Danny brought a friend back about the same time. And he said, this is my friend. I don't remember his name. But I'd like for you just to talk with him about what you talked with me about. And on the third night in the camp after everyone had left, these girls came in. I don't know if they were brownies or what they were. But I was in the middle of them. They surrounded me. I was surrounded by girls. It was an amazing thing. (laughs) And it was amazing. And the next night, a group came in from Columbia. Uh, uh, Not Columbia. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. But a university back east. And they were all Jews. And... uh, And then on the final night, God brought uh, a guy along who was exactly where I was just two weeks earlier. And I'll never forget that. But I had to step out in faith. The night that I came home from our trip, I shared with my family. They hadn't seen me in quite a while. And they wondered, what in the world happened to this guy? Because they didn't know I'd gone to church. And, uh, and yet, within six months' time, my, my brother and my two sisters, one of them who was with the Lord, came to know Jesus. My mom had prayed for me all of her life. In fact, before I was born, she prayed dedicating me to, to the Lord, thankful for her prayers. And I'll never forget the day I drove uh, into the middle of, of Nevada and shared with my dad on an Indian reservation and my dad prayed and asked Jesus into his life and I cried all the way back all the way back home and Paul wrote these words in Romans I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ and it is good news it is the power of God at work and that's what it is it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. And we are called to be Christ's witnesses in how we pray and in how we live. And we're also called to be Christ's witnesses in how we speak. And Paul writes in Colossians 4, verse 6 there, he says, let your conversation, your words, always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And in Ephesians 4, he he shares something very similar. He says, don't use foul language or abusive language. Let everything you say be good. Let everything you say be helpful so that your words, here's why, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Our words should always be gracious. They should always be pleasing. Gracious words should cross our lips whether we're under stress, wronged or persecuted. And that again is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit through letting the word of God dwell in you richly. That's how your words can be gracious. And Paul tells us gracious words are seasoned with salt. Salt makes things tastier. Salt brings healing. Salt preserves. And our words are to do those things as well. Our words should always minister. They should always encourage. They should always lift up. They should always support. They should always strengthen. They should be wholesome, they should be gentle, they should be kind, they should be truthful, they should be sensitive, they should be thoughtful. And Paul closes out this passage of Scripture reminding us what we're called to with these words, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so we're to speak graciously, but we're to speak also knowledgeably. And Paul in first, or Peter, in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, but... Set your hearts, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. It doesn't work when you try and argue with somebody into the kingdom. I've tried. It never worked. But there is a way that does work. I buried my dad about eight years ago. And the night before he died, my stepmother called and said, Rick, your dad's not doing well. And he wanted me to call you. He wants to talk to you. My dad suffered a massive stroke 12 years earlier. He virtually couldn't speak. And I would ask him when I'd see him, which wasn't that often, but I'd ask him, Dad, do you you still believe? Yeah. Dad, do you still believe? Yeah. Every time when I'd see him. And on that night when he called, actually when my stepmother called, put the phone in my dad's hands or put it to his ear and his mouth. He couldn't say much. In fact, he couldn't say anything. He just cried. That's all he could do. But I knew what he was telling me. And I said to him, Dad, I love you. And Dad, Jesus loves you. And during those years, I heard words from him and the longest sentence I ever heard him speak. And these were the words I heard from him. I, uh, God had changed his life. And God wants to use you and I in the lives of those that we love that may not yet know Him. And He's called us to that purpose and that mission. So that someday when God calls us home, (laughs) we might rejoice in His presence and in the presence of others who've gone before us, who've influenced our lives. And every one of us are here today. I am here today. I am here today because of of four people who witnessed to me in my life. And I'm thankful for them. And every one of you are here today because somebody has witnessed in your life or you wouldn't be here either. And God has given us a message. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1. The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. That's the good news, how we are made right with him. And that it begins and ends with faith. It's not based upon what we do. We can never earn it. We don't deserve it. It begins with faith. It ends with faith. It's only by faith. As the scripture says, but those who are right with God will live by faith. And in 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul writes for God was in Christ reconciling the world, reconciling you, reconciling me to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, no longer counting your sins against you, no longer counting my sins against me. And then he finishes with these words, this is the wonderful message that God has given us. He has given us to tell others. And on this last weekend of 2014, God is simply reminding us that we're here for a reason. That we have a mission. We have a purpose. That we too are called to be Christ witnesses to lost people who desperately, desperately, desperately need a Savior. And this is a purpose, this is a mission for why I'm still here. And this is a purpose, and this is a mission for why you are still here. That we might be Christ witnesses. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, you may be here today, and you may be in the same place I was, <laughs> a little over 42 years ago. And maybe the Lord has spoken to you. And you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. You've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins. God loves you. He died on the cross for you. That's why he came. And if that would be true in your life today, it would invite you, even as I was invited on July 16, 1972, to... After the service, simply to go into a room. And to my left over here is the altar. It's a little sign on the, the wall. And, and in those doors, there's somebody who'd love to pray with you. I remember Greg Langley praying with me. And there may be a Greg Langley who would pray with you tonight or today. God has called us, we're here for a purpose. And he's made himself known to us so that we might make him known to others. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us that we might know you and be with you forever. And it's an amazing thing, Lord, when I think that you've called me and would choose to use me. But you have and you do. And that's just not true for me, Lord. It's true for each of us in here who know you. And so on this last weekend of 2014, would you sink these words deep into our hearts so that in 2015, we might be those witnesses, Lord, that you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.